Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled, Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored, The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Okay, tonight I do what? <laughs> I still like that title. But anyway, tonight we're going to be talking about the key of releasing. Now let's go back over the keys that we've looked at. And remember the, the keys open doors in one house. In other words, the whole house is the house of your marriage. All of them kind of, you can put them in just about any order except you've got to put believing first got to start there you can switch them around sometimes but we've got believing that's the first key <laughs> and then we've got dying which could have been replaced with growing but it's the same thing dying is same way you entered in is the same way you continue to walk then you've got uh, growing which you, by the way what is essential for growth in a Christian life one thing the spiritual refrigerator is what it's the word of God it's the word of God yeah you're you're right on it and then uh, releasing is what we're going to talk about tonight. So when those keys are in your life. Now, let's look, make sure we understand this uh, triangle over here. Because this triangle is key to everything I'm saying. You do not live for each other. That is the biggest mistake a couple can make. I've got 16 things I've got to do to please my spouse this week. That's ridiculous. You live this way. And God in you, as you, as you grow toward him, he continues to pull you together and bring the oneness that you could not have gotten any other way. And I like that statement that someone said, when, you, when your expectations are not being fulfilled in a marriage, it's probably not a problem with your mate. It's your expectations of the mate that's your problem. Your expectations shouldn't be put in the mate. They should be put in the Lord Jesus who lives in you. That's, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. When these keys are in order, believing, dying, growing, now we begin to release the Christ that lives within us. Now I want to make sure we understand something. You get all of God when you get saved. You don't need any more of God. <laughs> there are people still trying to get more of him. The problem is not on his end. The problem is on our end. He needs more and more of us. And the less there is of us, then the more there is being seen of him in us. That's the bottom line of everything. And if I don't get that straight in my mind, I can take my marriage and I can tell everybody it's great, but it will not be beyond what I say. Behind closed doors, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could all be a fly on the wall and go home with each other? <laughs> no, it wouldn't be great. But <laughs> we would find out a whole lot about the marriages from what people present in public and what's really going on behind closed doors. So the key is not how we relate to each other. The key is how do we relate this way? How do we walk? in oneness with him so no spouse should ever expect 
that they in their own strength could meet anybody's needs, much less their mate. I can't meet anybody's needs, much less Dinah's. I mean, I, I can't even meet my own. <laughs> God has to do that in us. It's a dead-end street if you go the other way. And most everything I've ever seen written on marriage starts what we can do rather than what God can do. And that, see, somebody told me one time, she said, Wayne, <laughs> and she's a dear friend of ours, but she said, Wayne, she said, good grief, there's more in the Bible than Jesus being Jesus in you. And uh, I, I started to say, well, if you come to church more often, you'd find that I did preach on more things, but that's all right. <laughs> Jesus being Jesus in you is the well that all the water of God's Word flows out of. If you get it wrong there, it's like going to the moon and being three degrees off down here. You're going to miss that sucker a long way. So you've got to get this nailed down. It's in our walk with Christ. That's what makes the marriage what He wants it to be. You say, well, aren't there scriptures that tell me what to do? Sure there are. But the reason we didn't go there is it's like going to a conference, coming home and saying, I'm going to do better. Yeah, right. That's kind of like what people think repentance is. Let's come to, let's come to the altar and promise God will do better. I've never done better yet. Maybe you have, and you can counsel with me after this message, but I've never done better yet. My flesh is worse today than it ever has been. Jesus didn't come to renew my flesh and make it better. He came to replace it. And there's no better place to understand that in a marriage. If it doesn't work at home, it doesn't work anywhere else. You may think it does, but it doesn't. If it has to work at home, because that's the first relationship you have that's so intimate, then it works itself out. From there, Well, I'm, I'm going to remind you of a passage. I'm doing this in a little bit in reverse from your homework. But, and I know you all did that. And just thank you so much for the hours you spent. <laughs> but Ephesians 5.18, <laughs> we put it last in the homework. <laughs> hey, I learned in school how I could open my eyes and actually look like I'm taking notes and be asleep. It's amazing. <laughs> I was really good with that. I was just wondering, some of y'all are doing that in this class. <clears throat> Okay, now it tells us in Ephesians 5.18, we should daily be filled with the Spirit of God. Now let's make sure we understand that. <laughs> There's one time we are indwelt by the Spirit at salvation. That's a one-time thing. He comes to live in us. But we're filled with the Spirit moment by moment. In fact, he says in Ephesians, let me explain this way. Being filled with the Spirit is not taking a glass, filling it up to the brim, drinking it and then going back and filling it up again some people say i gotta get back to church i gotta get filled up again really that's not being filled with the spirit <clears throat> being filled with the spirit is knocking the bottom out of the glass and putting it in the river and letting the river flow through it it's a big difference than trying to think well oh i'm just out spiritually really <laughs> i thought you got all of god when you got saved see the key is releasing him that's what the whole thing's been about Get in the Word. You learn to die by saying yes. You, you die simply by saying yes to Christ. When you say yes to Him, you're not saying no to the flesh. The best way to say no to the flesh is just say yes to Him. I don't know how many people focus on the sinful part of it instead of spoken on the, focus on the Savior. I'd much rather look at Him, say yes to Him. You've just denied the flesh in doing that. Now watch, Ephesians 5.18. And do not get drunk with wine. Now why would he bring this up? Brother Wayne, the Bible never says we can't drink. I know. It says, don't get drunk with wine. But it also says, be careful that you offend your weaker brother. That's the bigger principle. Not about drinking or not drinking. It's about your weaker brother. 
Do not get drunk with wine. Why would he say that? That's dissipation. In other words, don't let something from the outside come in and control you. The word filled has the idea of controlled. Don't be filled by something from the outside. Okay, watch. But be filled with the Spirit of God. And the word be filled there, present, middle, imperative. Middle means you really can't. You just surrender, and he'll take care of the rest of it. But you're, you're, you're saying yes to him, and it's an invitation to you, but it's present tense, and it's an imperative. Imperative is a command. This is not an option. <laughs> if you're a believer, this is not an option. And so when you mess up, what do you do? You run right back to him, and what? And, he con and continue to yield so that you can continue to release him in your life. I love, love that idea of bottoming out. <laughs> I mean, when Wayne's not there, that's when the river can flow. You know, don't be, don't be, be in his way. You don't be in his will. Okay, present, middle, imperative. And then what happens when you do that? First of all, he puts a song in your heart. You ever, you know, I, I love Terry. I love what he does, but I wouldn't be him for nothing. He could not give me the money to do that because you're trying to put a song in people's heart when God's the only one that can do that. And so it ends up being preference rather than worship. It, it ends up being something totally opposite. If you're not living as a vessel surrendered to him, you don't even have a song in your heart. And that song in your heart, remember in Psalm 40 when he delivered David out of the pit and put him on the rock and put a new song in his heart and established his ways? God puts a song in your heart. And look what he says here, speaking to one another. And that word speaking simply means to say, and it, he's, he's talking about singing as well as speaking. And it, he says to one another in Psalms, which were the hymns of the Old Testament, in hymns, which are the hymns written later about God, and then in spiritual songs which is the choruses, and making melody. What? I thought it was only one way to... <laughs> I'm not going there. All right. He, 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 he puts a song in your heart. But the, the next thing he does is give you a grateful attitude. You have been around gracious people? They're just thankful for everything. I mean, they just don't have an ax to grind with anybody. And they just have a grateful heart. He says, always giving thanks for how many things? All things, everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. Now, he produces a submissive spirit. Now, it's the Christ in me submitting to the Christ in you. What is it that holds us accountable? It's the Word of God. And so, therefore, if you come up to me, and somebody did a couple of services ago when I preached and said, Wayne, you said that you thought, and I think I shared it Sunday, you thought Paul was lost in Romans 7, 14 to 25. And I said, no, I didn't. I said he was saved. He said, no, you didn't. And I'm thinking, oh, man, does it get worse than this? I really thought I was saying something. But I submitted to what he said and then corrected it the next week. You know, that's what God does. That's not me. That's, that's God. Sometimes I bow up like a, I, well, just bow up. <laughs> and I just get upset with people who are being critical. You need to listen to them because there's a submissive spirit that God puts within you when you're walking filled with his spirit. You're willing to listen if somebody's got something to say. A guy came to me one time back when I first came here. <laughs> and uh, I've come to love him, but I wanted to use him for target practice every hunting season. But he came to me and said, I don't like your preaching. I said, well, get a number and get in line. He said, I don't like the fact that you do so much review. And I, that just ticked me off. What does he know about it? And I was on my way home thinking, how can I get back at him? I'm, I'm going to nail him. And I got home and I just started praying. I said, Lord, well, how could he do that? It was like God said to me, just clear as a bell, listen to him. Oops, <laughs> the following week I cut out my review and haven't used it since that time. 
that wasn't me. Don't ever go around patting me on the back. If you ever see that in me, listen, if there's anything good you see in me, it's not me. It's Christ who lives in me. That's what we've got to get in our heads. There's no good thing, Paul said in Romans, remember, that seven that dwells in my flesh. Not one good thing. So what's the good part? As he said, in the flesh. Christ lives in us. That's the good. He is our righteousness. Somebody asked me the question after Sunday. He said, where is the verse that God looks at us and, and sees us through Christ? And I couldn't think of it to, to, to save me. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 3. For we are hidden in Christ, who is God. What does it mean to be hidden? You don't see us, you see him, <laughs> who has been made unto us righteous. Okay. Now look what happens. You get a submissive spirit to one another. Man, that's awesome. Wouldn't it be great if everybody in the whole church would, would be filled with the spirit on the same time? <laughs> Whoa, man, we'd have gracious people and no preference in the singing, and we would just really have a time together. See, it doesn't quite work that way. And sometimes in a marriage, you got one, but you got another one who isn't. Look out. And you see, that's when the problems begin to, to, to start. So the key is always be the wrong one, never the right one. Check with yourself first. All right, verse 22, look what happens. Right after being filled with the Spirit, having a song in your heart, having a submissive attitude, look at this. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as, in the, as to the Lord. Now, we've read this before in one of our earlier sessions. I just want to make sure you saw the context again. And all men love this verse. Be subject to your husbands. <laughs> but the word subject doesn't mean be a doormat. It's two equals, and one chooses to get up under the, the other one in a sense of, him being the spiritual leader of the family. Never means. It's always in the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the, the wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. And then he sort of pushes the wives aside a little bit and just nails us men. Husbands, love your wives. Okay, I'm loving her, really. Valentine's Day coming up this week. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Oops. <laughs> you know, I've always wanted people that say, oh, it's not Jesus being Jesus in you. We can do it. We can do it. We can do it. We can. And my favorite line is, okay, go home, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And let me know how it goes. Give it about three days. We can't do that. That's why we have to be filled with the Spirit of God. Well, it goes on and tells, tells about the responsibilities of the husband and wife. I just wanted you to see in the context of being filled with the Spirit what that is. Being filled is, is constant, present tense, saying yes to the Lord. When you mess up, come right back. Say yes to Him. By the way, when you confess sin, that's what He told you to do because you're going to sin. And that's part, of the, that's part of it. It fits right into the equation. You do exactly what He told you to do. And you just continue to get out of His way and let Him flow through you. Okay, turn to Galatians then. And the Galatians where I'm going to focus tonight. But I wanted you, it's in Ephesians, it's also in Colossians, but there it talks about let your heart be filled with the Word, let the Word of God richly dwell in your heart. It's exactly the same thing. You can't be filled with the Spirit if the Word of God is not richly dwelling in your heart. Okay, Galatians. Now, what's the context of Galatians? And for those of you that study so hard and <laughs> The context is false teachers. What does false teacher do? Now, by the way, it's not a church. It's a group of churches. In chapter 1 and verse 6, it talks about uh, he, they couldn't believe how they walked away from Jesus, how they walked away from the doctrine, not from a doctrine, but from, from Christ who gives it. And in chapter 3, verse 1, 2, and 3, look it over in chapter 3. I love this passage. He says, you foolish Galatians. <laughs> that word foolish, several people say, could be translated stupid. You stupid. 
stupid Galatians. Remember, Paul was the one who taught them the message of Christ in you. They knew it. But boy, these, these guys were good. Evidently, they were good to, to refute everything Paul said and to get these people off track. He says, who has bewitched you? Who's put you under their spell? Uh, who, <laughs> one night, uh, I got up. I was having a dream. Y'all ever do that? And, uh, but you can remember it. I mean, I can have dreams a lot of time. I can't remember what it was. They were good, but I couldn't remember when I woke up. But I remember this one. And that big six-by-six six elk was about to step out. And the scope is right on him. And all he's got to do is take one more step. He's there. He got the range. Got everything lined up. And you wake up. And that's, that's the pits. <laughs> and I, my stomach, I had a lot of reflux and that kind of stuff. You know, some of, these, some of the young people, they look great. They think they got the world by the tail and they haven't ever had reflux. They don't even know what that is. And you will get up. You know, how many have had it before? Anybody here besides me? <laughs> well, when you have it, you do get up. You don't lay there and think about it. You do get up. And I'd forgotten to take my medicine. The doctor had given me some Pepsi to take. And I remember walking through the house in the dark because I didn't want to. I found if you want to go back to your dream, don't open your eyes. <laughs> Feel your way through the house. And I got into the kitchen and I found where Diana keeps the, <laughs> the medicine. And I took one and I, I thought it was a Pepsi. Dr. Halton said, oh, my gosh, this is, a, this is a project. And I took them. It felt like them, so I took them and went back to bed and slept. Oh, I slept, and I shot the elk. But I couldn't get up the next morning. <laughs> 8 o'clock, I didn't wake up. 9 o'clock, I didn't wake up. 10 o'clock, I didn't wake up. 11 o'clock, I didn't wake up. About 12 o'clock, Dinah finally got me up. And what's wrong with you? I don't know, but this sure is good. I like this. But I didn't know what to, and I somehow got to the church. We were going on a staff retreat. And when I got there, they looked at me and said, we're, you're not driving. We'll take your car, but we're driving. You're not driving. So we got to the retreat, and it had a video with Mark Lowry. You ever seen Mark Lowry? He's one of the funniest human beings. He said, my mama was a screamer. And I'm, I just love that. He, used to, he came to our church when we were in Tennessee. And so I was just watching that thing, and they said, Wayne, you laughed supernaturally. You didn't laugh right. <laughs> and say so when it was over with, it was a blue screen, and you sat there and looked at it intensely. And they walked me back and put me to bed. And I missed the whole staff retreat. I slept the whole next day. Come to find out, I called my, 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 my son's daddy, who's a doctor, and found out that what I'd taken was uh, the strongest muscle relaxer known to man. And I think it says only take in case of intense pain and, and only take one half of one. And beware of extreme drowsiness. <laughs> it changed my behavior. So what does he say here? He says, who has bewitched you? That means who's put you under their spell to the point that you're acting different than you're supposed to. And you see, when you get back into that mentality, I can run my marriage, I can do it, I can do it, son, I can do it. You've just, you're, your whole behavior is going to change because you're no longer filled with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is not controlling your life. This is you now, and it's going to change the way you behave, Okay whose eyes, he said, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. He says, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Is that how you got the Spirit? Remember, the Spirit was the promise of the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel. He says, by the works of the law or by hearing with faith. Well, they knew the answer to that. That's a no-brainer. Are you so stupid, foolish? <laughs> Having begun by the Spirit, you knew you couldn't save yourself. Having begun by the Spirit... Are you now being perfected, matured? Are, are you bringing it to its conclusion 
by the works of the flesh. You really think you can do this? See? And you got those two mentalities warring against each other. I'm going to do it. But only God can. I can't. God never said I could. He can. He always said he would. Well, in chapter 2 of Galatians, we come down to where we're headed to verse 20 in verse 18. For if I rebuild what I once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. What did he destroy? Well, remember, he was the biggest religious <laughs> nut in the New Testament. But he had done it. He could do it. And he destroyed that. When did he destroy that whole works mentality? The moment he received Christ into his life. By the way, did you realize that religion flies out the window the moment you receive Jesus? So why in the world we won't go back to it? Well, he says, for through the law. Now, the law, meaning the Ten Commandments, and of course, then with him, that was what he couldn't do. He could do the 613 they added, but he couldn't do the, thir the 10. He said, for through the law, I died to the law. And then he said, so that I might do what? All right, now, let, 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 say that again. That I might what? I'm trying to show you something. What's the key to a marriage? Living unto whom? But what's the key? Before you can live unto him, what do you have to do? Die to the law. Die to the flesh performance mentality that I can do it. And until you do that, you haven't got there yet. I don't mean getting there like you're arriving. I'm not talking about that. But the understanding is still somewhere amiss in your life. The moment you think that you can do anything that God demands apart from him, you've made a huge mistake. That's why Jesus came to live in us, to do through us what we could never do ourselves. So if you're going to live unto God, so what's religion? Is it living unto God? No, it's living unto you. It's you're making the shots. You're taking the glory. You're taking the credit. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You can. Now, keep the triangle in mind because uh, this is so important as we go through this. Paul gets into verse 20, and this is probably one of the most famous verses ever preached on by anybody. I have been crucified, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Watch. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Now, you say, Wayne, what has this got to do with marriage? If you don't know this, then you're totally lost right now. Marriage is not about how I treat Dinah until, first of all, it's about how I relate to the Christ that lives within me. Because if I relate to him properly, then he through me will treat Diana the way she ought to be treated. You see, that's, okay, let's look at it. First of all, he has a brand new identity, a brand new identity. I have been crucified with Christ. As you say, well, Wayne, crucifixion, that's a pretty tough word. Well, it sure was. A lady came up to a friend of mine who's a preacher, and she said, God's want out to hurt me. He said, no, 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 you misunderstand. He's out to kill you. And give you a new you. You see, that's where we miss it right there. He's out to put my flesh back where it belongs. And that's on the cross. The cross and the life of the believer is totally ignored by people. Daily we live from there. What happened there? I was crucified with Christ. And I'm a new you. I've got a new you in me. Christ has come to live in me. There's a new you. And that's the one that your wife or your husband's looking for. Not you. They're already tired of us. We have to, they're looking for the Christ that lives in us, the new you. If you're a believer, then the old you that thinks it can do 
what God commands is gone. Now, here's my key to you. Stop trying to resurrect it. <laughs> you see, flesh, that's what Paul means by the flesh. That's the old man. That's, that's that tendency that we all have. Grab the bull by the horns, buddy. I can handle this. I, I, I think I've told you, and, and a lot of times I'll overlap in these sessions because I want you to see it in light of different context because it's all the same truth. When I played college basketball and I started center against Artis Gilmore, who's seven feet three inches tall. I've never seen a human being that big in my life. Strongest man in the NBA, made the NBA Hall of Fame. And I walked out on the floor and I'm looking up at him and I'm thinking, oh no. I couldn't even reach his elbow if he had his hands up. And, and the cheerleaders, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it, you can, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it, you can. I'm walking out thinking, no, I can't, I promise you, I, I can't. <laughs> My nose has been broken five different times. The last time it was fixed was, it was mainly they tried to straighten. I still have a little ski lift right here. Four times in basketball, which is a non-contact sport, <laughs> once in football. And the guys I played against when they came around was just like, here, well, that's my nose right there. It, one, the last time I did it, it flattened it against my face, and it was in surgery for hours I don't, they, when they tried to put my nose back together. You see, I found out real quick I couldn't do it. I'm kind of glad that I played when the position I played. I never wanted to play uh, pivot or center, but I, I, I'm glad I did because I never could play it because there's too many big guys that I was trying to play against. A coach used to say, it's not height, it's position. And I said, are you nuts? Your elevator doesn't touch the top floor. Huh? <laughs> He'd reach over me and get the ball. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. I'm not going back, he said, to, to rebuild what I once destroyed. I'm not going back to that religious stuff. Do you realize the book of Galatians is written to a group of churches and every one of them are trying to go back to the very thing that Paul was delivered from? <laughs> now let me ask you a question. Don't, don't answer it. Don't even raise your hand. How much of this I can do it attitude has gotten into you and into what, what you're doing in your Christian life? I, just, just listen, I want you to think on that thing. Just soak on it a little bit. How much of you is there? Versus how much is him? And that's, the, that's, the, that's the bottom line right there we're talking about. Well, look at Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through, in, through 6. We've mentioned this before, but I want you to go back to it. I want you to see the new you. I want you to see what happened the moment you were indwelt by the Spirit <laughs> when he came to live in your life. He says, what shall we say then? And that's a good question because... He's dealing with the antinomians in uh, chapter 6. He's dealing with the legalists in chapter 7. You know what an antinomian is? Anti means against. Nomos means law. These are the party hardies. Woohoo! We're under grace. Party hardy. Man, we're going to have a good time. We're forgiven. We can do what we want to do. Really? So that's what some people hear grace that way. They heard it that way. And I thought one day, maybe it's my preaching that, that makes people hear this. And it dawned on me, wait a minute. The apostle Paul had difficulty with it. And maybe it's not the teacher. Maybe it's the hearer. Maybe people hear what they want to hear. Freedom is never the right to do as you please. It's the power to do as you should. It's a big difference. What shall we say? That are we going to continue in sin so that grace might increase? That's fun. We can just keep on doing what we're doing the way we want to do it. And he'll, he'll bless us with grace. He said, may it never be. Used about 11 times in Romans. How shall we who died to the sin, and he speaks of the lawless attitude that we had before we got saved. I'm going to do what I want to do, and nobody's going to tell me what to do. That's that lawless attitude. We died to it. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? 
we died with him. Therefore, as we were saved, we were put back on the cross with him. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. It's a brand new life. It's a brand new you <laughs> when you receive Christ because he comes in and makes the difference. He lives within you. Uh, I love that picture of the bowl that's clear and you have red dye in it. And you take a white cloth, you put that white cloth down in that red dye, and you baptize it. Now, my, my Presbyterian friend says, no, it means identification. Well, yeah, it does, but in secular Greek, when a guy drowned, they used the same word. So maybe you can drown in a cup of water, but he puts it under. And so he immerses it. He's in Christ. But something happens to the, as we talked about before, the, the white cloth. It's no, no longer a white cloth. What is it now? Why? Because not only is the cloth in the dye, but the what? The dye is where? It's in the cloth. You're a brand new you. You've, you. You're the car that's finally got a motor. <laughs> Christ has come to live in you. Well, I can't do it. You just took every excuse you ever had and threw it out the window. Would that help a counseling session from time to time? <laughs> I mean, when you've realized, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you say you can't do it, that's exactly what God wants you to say. He loves failures. That's where he begins to work. It's in our weakness. Now watch verse 5. For if we have become united with him, in the likeness of his death. He says, in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And that word united with, what a picture of what happens at salvation, that new heart, the new spirit coming in you. It, it's the word symphutos. Phutos means to graft two things into one. But the Greeks would use a preposition at the front of the word, and it would just anchor the word. It would tell you what it's saying. And, it's, and there's two words for with in the Greek language. We have one in, the, in English. That's why I bring these words out to you. The word with, a uh, meta, means we're with each other uh, associate by association. In other words, some of you will go to sleep or leave, or, or maybe somebody will come. You can add to, take away from the group. However, there's another word that means seen to where you're together and nobody can ever separate you. And that's the word used there. So not just are you grafted together, you're sealed once you're grafted together. So it's the word sim futos, S-U-M-P-H-U-T-O-S, I believe it's transliterated. And what that, it, that, it's a beautiful word. You remember, you have to take it apart and get the word picture of what it's saying there. And it's kind of like making biscuits. <laughs> Y'all have heard me say this about two million times. Well, this is two million one. And you, you have a big bowl and you put the ingredients in it. All you cooks, you'll know what I'm not. You put the milk in there, milk, right? You put milk, buttermilk maybe. You put uh, flour and you put uh, eggs. What else you put in there? Baking soda, okay? Somebody said you put lard in there, but that's what you look like after you eat them. You put them in a bowl, <laughs> and you got all those ingredients in the bowl, okay? Now, those ingredients in the bowl, which Greek word would you have to use if you were going to describe that at that point? Which word would it be? Would it be seen? They're together. Nobody can ever separate them. Or would it be meta? You can still add something to it. If you know what you're doing, you can take something out. Meta. Now, you take them and put them in the shape of a big old cat head biscuit. That means large. And you put it in the oven and you bake it. You pull it out. Are those ingredients still together? Now, in English, we'd say they're still with each other. But the Greek would not do that. It would change the preposition in front of that word, which tells you exactly what he's talking about. It would change it from meta to, S actually, it's S-U-N, but the M is used when it's connecting to a word sometimes. And so the, the word then would be seen, futos, because why? They've been baked together to where nobody can separate them. 
You're a brand new you. You're a biscuit for Jesus. <laughs> Jesus has baked himself into your life. You've got a brand new identity. Don't call yourself a believer if you've never bowed and received Christ because a believer is not a church member or somebody who's baptized. A believer is one who's become a brand new creature. And so the things of God are not as, not as unreasonable anymore to him because now he understands if God tells me to do something, he baked himself into me to enable me to do it. Anything he demands from us, he lives within us to enable. That's the grace message right there. How many people get saved by grace and go right back to living under the law? It's up to them now. And how miserable we are when we do that. One only, the only thing I can think of as good about getting old is that you've, you've failed enough times to where you can receive this. Because <laughs> there was a time in my life you couldn't have told me anything that I'm telling you right now. Brokenness, when you come through those broken times, and maybe right now your marriage is going through a tough time, that's a great place to be because you're in a place of desperation. You don't have plan B. Now come on back to plan A and start being the you that God's created you to be. That's the key. Don't blame your husband. Don't blame your wife. You, remember, you live unto God. To do that, you've got to give up your self-effort. To do that, you've got to admit you can't. Do what he's commanded you to do. And say, Lord, I can't. You never said I could. You can. You always said you would. Well, that's why Ephesians 5.18 is where it is before he ever talks about marriage. To make sure you know who it is that lives within you to enable that to happen. So someone lives in you to do through you what you could never do. That's good news. By the way, how many of you, don't raise your hand, but, but many people think that the good news, the gospel, is only salvation. How pitiful a view of the gospel that is. It is good news, not just then, but all the way through. That's why Paul said to the believers in Rome, I can't wait to get over there to preach the gospel to you. He's already described who the you are. They're the believers in Rome. They just don't get it. <laughs> That's what Romans was written for. So, okay. So you've got, first of all, he's got a brand new identity. How in the world can I have the marriage God wants me to have? Well, you just certain keys you've got to turn, Remember? You've got to be a believer first. You've got to learn how to die to self by saying yes to him. You've got to get into the word of God and let the word of God get inside of you. And what happens? You start releasing all of a sudden the power that you didn't know you had. It was there all the time. But the key was not him. The key was you. Okay, secondly, Paul had a new life. I love this. And you know where I'm going to go with this, so just brace up because I'm going to do it again. Now, if I ask you what eternal life was, and again, don't answer me. I want you to think about it. What would you say? What is eternal life? It's what ha happened to me when I got saved. Well, yeah, but what is eternal life? Jesus is eternal life. He said, I have come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. If you don't have Jesus within you, having come to that place of being born from above, you don't have eternal life. Because he's made you a brand new creature and has brought the life into you. He is the life. In the person of his spirit. Okay. John 10, 10, you know that verse. I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And so he says, not have it one day when you get to heaven. Galatians 2, 20, again, I've been crucified with Christ. Now watch. It's no longer I who live. Now you try to explain this to somebody. <laughs> that they're a brand new you when you come to know Christ. And it's not you living anymore. It's a different life. It's a brand new life. He says, but Christ lives where? In me. Now, this is, this is why you have to ask yourself the question, wait a minute. Then why did he come to live in me if I can do it? 
He didn't leave us as orphans. He came to live within us because he knows how weak we are. Remember, he subjected himself to this world and he watched us for quite, he already knew, but as a man he knows, not in his own weakness, but by being around weakness. He was a God man all the way through, but he was around the weakness of men. And so he comes to live in us to enable us. Okay, Diana, is my jacket over there? No, it's back there. Somebody, James, bring me that jacket back there. It's right on that table. <laughs> Y'all like James? This is James. He's one of the happiest people I think I've met. And he's always, did he see him smile on him? I think he smiles in his sleep like that. <laughs> hey, and I love you. <laughs> Where do you think I'm going with this one? <laughs> Diana says, oh, no, not again for the 16th millionth time. But that's the only way I know how to explain it. It's that jacket. Where was it when I found it? Well, actually, it was given to me, but it was, it was hanging on a hanger in a store. Had a great future. Here I am hanging here. I guess so if my future is, I'll rot on this hanger because I can't deliver myself from the predicament that I'm in. I the, the coat couldn't come to me. I wished it could. Ding dong. You go to the front door, the coat says, here I am. I'm your size. Wear me. No, I had to go to the coat. I had to go a long way for the coat. I get down there, and uh, the price that was paid for, since it was a gift, I can't say it, but it's just to say I bought it. It's way too high a price. I paid way too much for a price for this jacket because people that sell clothes will stand before God one day. <laughs> so I, I redeemed it. I redeemed it from what? From its predicament that it couldn't, and I, and I kept it. I took it to myself. Now, does this coat have any rights? I love these things. I'm a king's kid. I got rights. Really? That's in the book of Hesitations, chapter 14, verse 3. No, does it have it? But it only has privileges that I choose to give to it. Can I, can I com command this coat to do anything I want it to do? Absolutely. All right, coat, I own you, buddy. <laughs> now I want you to wave at all these people and show them how appreciative you are of me coming so far, paying way too high a price for you and redeeming you. Would you just wave at them right now? Uh, wiggle. Do something. The only way that I can get this coat to do what I want it to do is what? Just get inside the coat. The only way I know. Now that I'm inside the, well, I'm not my mic off. I'm inside the coat. Then I can say to this sleeve, sleeve, wave at everybody out there. And you say, wow, you learned something. It's not about the coat. It's about the life that's in the coat. And if we don't get that down, it's going to affect our marriages like you would never believe. The moment the big eye thinks he can do anything, he's missed it completely. Because if I'm going to live under God, I've got to get rid of that attitude because you're not living under God unless you die to the performance mentality of the law and you're willing to say yes to him. So, you want to be a better husband? Absolutely, Brother Blake. You want to be a better wife? Absolutely. <laughs> then let Jesus be Jesus in you. Let him, let people see the new you that's now been made in him, the brand new creature who Christ is. And I, it's going to be really interesting when we finish this course and everybody's going to say, wait a minute, you never got down to what we're supposed to do. <laughs> and I'm going to say, what? That's all we talked about. But you see, the marriage is what's being affected as we do what God tells us to do as we walk in light with him. Okay, so he's got a brand new identity. 
He's got a brand new life. Now he's got a brand new perspective. He doesn't live life like he used to live. This old religious fanatic. I just love the Apostle Paul, but he was, he, was, he was something else. He stood there and watched Stephen being stoned, was on his way to, to, to arrest Christians when the Christ of Christianity arrested him. But he's got a brand new perspective. He, he used to do everything in his own power over in Philippians. As a matter of fact, look there with me. Flip, Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Let me just show you what he used to be like. And he's, he's dealing with some of those legalizers again that are trying to get people back up under the law in that mentality. They're everywhere, by the way. They're in the 21st century church everywhere. They're the spiritual terrorists of the church. Anybody who ever puts you up under that kind of thing has just made the biggest mistake if you've listened to them. Verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, and it means to keep on rejoicing. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard for you. Then, okay, beware of the dogs. <laughs> That's not the Georgia football team. That's a... Uh, in fact, the dogs in the Gospels were the what? Were the Jews. I mean, the Gentiles. But now he reverses it. He said, beware of the dogs. And what are these people like? Beware of the evil workers. That's a fleshly worker by the word evil. Beware of the false circumcision, of the external circumcision. Because remember, Paul said we're circumcised of the heart. It's internal, not external. And then he says in verse 3, For we're the true circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and we put all of our confidence in our flesh. Is that what he says? What does it say? How much do we put in it? None. None. What did I say? None. So whenever you run into a problem, guess what? You put no confidence in your flesh. What's the flesh? That's the, that's the I can do it, I can do it attitude. All right, watch. Although I myself have, might have confidence in the flesh. You want to brag? I can brag with you. <laughs> Paul says, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Let me just tell you. He's speaking to these legalizers who are Jewish in background. He says, circumcise the eighth day. Remember, most of the Jews that you run across in Philippians and some of the other epistles are proselyte Jews. They're not true Jews. He was circumcised the eighth day, which meant that's what they did with a baby on the eighth day. That was part of their law. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel. Look at this, though, of the tribe of Benjamin. After they were dispersed, they lost all the records of their birth. If to be of the tribe of Benjamin would be like, where are you from, America? What's your name, Smith? You know, I mean, something like that. I mean, we just know they're from America if they have a certain name. And to be of the tribe of Benjamin, which, by the way, was one of the most precious tribes, the Lord, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. Good night. These guys, when they walked, they squeaked. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless, what law? He had, could not be talking about the moral law because nobody was found blameless except Jesus. Had to be those 613 laws they added to it. Oh, I did all of those. And then he said, but whatever things were gain to me, watch this, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I count every bit of it as loss. They used to be gained because I used to pride myself. And they wore those phylacteries and they put all the deeds that they had done. That thing sucker get bigger and bigger. And finally they had to hold her head down. And he said, I put all that. That's not what it's all about. Counted all as lost. He goes on to say in verse 10, I just want to know him. And that word means to experientially know him. Wouldn't that be great in your marriage? I want to know you, Lord, and my responses back to my wife or to my husband. I want to know you, Lord, and the way that I can treat this individual that you've given me to live with. I want to know you. I want to experience you, Lord. I, I know that you live within me, but I want to experience you in my marriage, in my life. And the power of his resurrection, 
that which brings out of death life and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. So you begin to begin to realize that he's got a brand new perspective on life. He's not living like he used to live. He knows he can't do it. But go back to Galatians 2.20. Give you a chance to turn back there. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, and by the way, it means two different things in different places. One time it means the wickedness of the flesh, which is that evil intent. But it also means just the fleshly body. And that's what it means here. So there's a bummer in this truth. <laughs> you have the same body after you get saved you had before you got saved. <laughs> so if you're tall, when you, before you, if you're ugly, you're just going to be ugly after you get saved. I, nothing's going to change it. If you're tall, you're going to be tall. If you're short, you're going to be short. If you're fat, you can lose weight. But you've got the same body, okay, after you get saved as you had before you get saved, okay? He says, the, the life which I now live, it's different before. I live by faith. I trust Christ and Him alone. I love the passage in John 6, 28. Therefore they said to Him, What shall we do, speaking to Jesus, so that we might work the works of God? <laughs> What shall we do, Wayne? Tell me. Give me a list of how we can have the best marriage in the world. How can we do this, Wayne? And what did Jesus say? You want to do what I do? He said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent in its present tense. You believe, and you keep on believing, and you keep on believing, and you keep on believing, and you keep on believing in him who he has sent. I'll take care of the work. <laughs> He's the one who does the work, but we've got to believe. The word belief is not static. It's not a uh, comprehensive thing. I mean, in other words, it's a comprehensible thing. It's not like I understand something. It is, but it's more than that. It means I understand it to the point that I'm willing to cast myself out upon it and trust with all everything that's within me. And that's what belief is. It's active. So in the life which I now live in the flesh, the same old body I had before, I was doing a meeting in uh, Salt Lake City. I did several when I was in conference work full-time. I learned more about Mormonism there than I could have ever learned in a church or a class or anywhere else because these were converted Mormons that had come to know Christ. And I was talking in Ephesians about taking off the old man by putting on the new man and how that he produces the righteousness within you. And they about knocked me down. And they said, Wayne, every day we got up, we put on a garment of righteousness underneath our clothes. Even the basketball players have to have them cut off to fit because our legs will be there because it protects me against anything, and that's the garment of righteousness. And they said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Righteousness is not external. Righteousness is internal. It has to be manifested through us. And I'm thinking, yeah, 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 yeah. And I was learning like you wouldn't believe. But they saw it. They saw it right off because they had come out of something that had said exactly the opposite. Christ comes to live in you. And so he says, life I now live in the, this body of flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And it's interesting to me, he doesn't say in the Word of God. Even though he champions that in Scripture, he goes beyond that. He says, you'll never have any confidence in the Word of God unless you have confidence in the God of the Word. I put my total confidence in him because he loved me enough that he died for me. Why would I not want to trust him? And so his word then is automatic. It just sort of fits like hand and glove. Uh, he says in verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God. The word nullify means frustrate. 
<laughs> Who is the grace of God? It's the Lord Jesus. He is the grace of God. He's the embodiment of the grace of God. Grace is the divine empowerment, the divine ability to do what you couldn't do apart from him. It's what he comes to do in you. In you. And so he said, I don't, I don't nullify it. I don't frustrate it. I don't, the word also means to set aside. The literal Greek word means to set aside. I don't say, no, I don't need you. I can do this myself and set it aside. He said, I don't do that. I don't do that anymore. He said, for if righteousness, which is always what you do, that God says, ooh, that's good. <laughs> if righteousness comes through the law. In other words, if there's a law you can obey, if there's a set of rules you can obey, and God said, that is really good, then Christ died, how? In vain or needlessly. So you see what he's saying now. He's talking about after he's saved, not before he's saved. And he said, why did he even die for my sin if I could still do it? So he's made me a brand new person, and he's come to live in me. A great man of God years ago was at a fair. And he saw a guy pumping a well. And I use this a lot, so if you hear me, I may use it four more times before we finish because it's the best illustration. He sees a guy pumping a well, and he says, Good, 9-11, nobody pump a well like that. That guy was, yeah, 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 yeah. Just going and going and finally he said, I'm going to get closer to him. Got over there and he noticed he had uh, slanted eyes and all. He said, ah, oh, he's Oriental. He's got these herbs. That, that's the vitamins he's taking. That's what it is. I've got to find out about this. And he got closer. And the man's arms were made of wood and his elbows were made out of hinges. And it wasn't a well like we know of, of a well. It was an artesian well. He wasn't pumping the well. The well was pumping him. And that's Christ in you. That's exactly what happened when you got saved. He lives in you to enable you to be whatever he requires out of you. The key of believing, you've got to believe first to understand this. The key of dying, the key of growing, and the key of releasing. So that's the four keys that we've looked at so far. Next week, I think it's the key of trusting. Then the key of giving. We're halfway through. We're right at the mid-point mid right now. Got four more times to meet together. Father, we just thank you so much as Diana comes, Lord, just to, for what you've already said to us in your word. And I pray, Father, you'll just help Diana as she sort of helps us to wrap it up tonight, Lord, that we might see it in a practical way. Lord, don't let this just be something that's so theological we miss it. Let it be practical to us that we might truly understand it in light of our daily experience. In Jesus' name, amen. Diana? that for me? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Those lights are hot. All right. Now, sweetie, if you would come over here because I'm going to use you in just a minute. <laughs> 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 now that you got all the way down. All right. I need to find a passage of scripture before I begin because I, the Bible that I brought is a New King James Version and it doesn't say it like I'm wanting it to say it. So hang on. We've got conversation going on. <laughs> You're not going crazy. You really are hearing it. Okay, let's see. Um, thank you for being so faithful and, and uh, listening tonight. Thank you for coming again tonight. I know it's cold out and dark, and sometimes you've been gone all day from home, and you just feel like you want to get home and stay home, but thank you for coming. Okay, here we go. 
you know, Wayne was speaking a few minutes ago. Now I have the fun part of this session. He has to do this, the hard study and figure out the words and, and do all of that. But I, I get to um, just give the illustration. And um, I, when you said, do not nullify the grace of God, the first time I ever heard that was in Lexington, Mississippi, where he was a pastor, and he preached on that on a Sunday. Well, on a Monday, I had never heard that before. I, that was the first time I'd ever, ever heard that. So um, I, had, I was cleaning the house, and he was at work, and we had a little poodle at the time for the children. And uh, we don't have dogs anymore, and we're so glad. <laughs> there are many, many things you do for your children, right? And um, if they want a pet, then you try to get them one, but then it becomes mom's pet because nobody else wants to take care of the dog. And um, so I had um, washed the area rug that was in front of the kitchen sink. Well, I, I dried it, and it was all fluffy and had the fringe on it and, it, and I put it down, and it was just perfect. I hadn't stepped on it yet. Nobody spilled anything on it yet. And the dog comes over and throws up on the rug. <laughs> and I was like, you could have just, on the floor, why do you have to do it on my clean, fresh rug? And the verse came to me that Wayne had preached on the day before, do not nullify the grace of God. Do not frustrate the grace of God. Well, at that moment, I could have yelled at the dog, <clears throat> thrown the dog out in the backyard <laughs> or whatever. That's what I felt like. But, but the Holy Spirit brought that verse to my mind. Do not frustrate the, the grace of God. God was giving me his grace at that very moment. I could choose to receive it or I could choose to walk in the flesh. So I just picked the little dog up and I picked up my <laughs> awful looking rug. I cleaned it up with a paper towel and put it right back in the washing machine. And that might sound very simple, but that was amazing to me because when I yielded, to the verse of what God has said, do not frustrate the grace of God. He, he just enabled me to just calmly pick up the dirty rug and put it right back in the wash. And that is, when you hear truth, if you will allow the Holy Spirit, when he brings it to your mind, when that word came to my mind, do not frustrate the grace of God, do not nullify the grace of God, the Holy Spirit brought that verse to my mind. And I know that's a very simple illustration, but it was powerful to me because God brought that verse to my mind and I realized if I yield to his word and to his way, then he would give me the power to be calm in it because his power overruled my um, anger or whatever I could have come across. So I just wanted to share that with you because that, that really meant a lot to me. And every time you share that, Wayne, I think of that time back in Mississippi with our little, our little poodle. Well, um, I wanted to um, just share this with you tonight when you were talking about submission. And I have one last thing to share, but I just had to tell you this. I don't know if you remember this or not, but after we were saved, um, we were learning about what God says about what you're learning in here, how the husband is to treat the wife and how the wife is to treat the husband. And sometimes when you hear verses, you want to apply it to your life, but you can use it in a wrong way. We were on vacation with our little children, and I would say they were probably seven and nine and a half. And we were, you know how you guys take trips? You just get in the car, and your mind is like, you're going to get there. <laughs> and I was so glad when we had little children because we had to stop for bathroom breaks. And prior to that, he just didn't understand why we needed to stop all the time. So some of you are laughing, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. And he just thought, you know, you get there, 
You empty your bladder when you get there. You don't have to stop all through the day. So we had stopped and we were all hungry and we went to a Wendy's and we went inside. And um, Wayne was in a hurry to get back on the road and so we could make that journey a little faster than, than we really needed to. And, um, <laughs> and you know, we share these things and don't think I'm ever picking on it because we're okay with that. If he shares things about me and I share things with him, we're really fine because we know what it's like to live apart from Christ. We also know what it's like to learn scriptures and to be filled with God's spirit when you're saved. And, and we've, we've worked all of these things out and, um, and I can't say we've arrived because we could be tested as soon as we leave here tonight. But um, anyway, Wayne thought it would be a great idea just to order everything the same thing for everybody. And then, you know, you get the food, get back in the car, and you get on the road. Well, I, I said, well, I don't want that. I, I, want, I want this. And this is what he said because he was such a spiritual man. He'd just been saved. <laughs> and, and he looked at me and he said, submit. <laughs> <clears throat> well, you know, we were in a public place, so I couldn't say what I really wanted to say. But my thought was, I'm never submitting to you. <laughs> so we, I got what I wanted to eat, but and we got back in the car and, and we went on our way. So I don't know how the rest of the day uh, turned out because I, I had forgotten that. But I knew that if, if the Bible told me that the wife is sub to submit to the husband, I was to do that. I knew that's what God's word said, and I wanted to be obedient to what he said because I wanted to live a Christian life full of God's power working in me and, and through me, and I wanted my children to learn this. So we, we had just moved to this town where we'd gotten saved. It was, it was um, Jackson, Mississippi at this point, and I wanted to um, be an example to my children, and I wanted to let God know that I wanted to be obedient to his way and his word and his will. And um, we needed, we just purchased a home and it needed painting and we needed several things. You know how that is. So we didn't have Walmart in those days. We're, we're pre-Walmart. <laughs> and we had Kmart though. <clears throat> so we were going to go to Kmart and we were walking toward the car and we got in the car and I said, we just had a very little bit of money and I said, I, I want to, um, when we get to Kmart, I want to find um, some shrubs. I want to look at some shrubs and I want to purchase some paint for the house. And he said, well... I thought we would get trash cans and a water hose. Well, there it was. Wives, submit to your husband. And God enabled me to say, well, that'll be just fine. And I think he was probably so shocked <laughs> because that's the first time I ever kept my mouth shut. But I didn't do it. God shut me up. Do you know, with his being yielded to Christ at that moment, we went into Kmart we went over to get the paint, and we looked at some shrubs. And I was so blessed because God revealed to me, you do it my way, and I'm going to show you how you can have a blessed marriage. And um, had he not done that, had he just gone on about the, the um, trash can and the water hose for the yard, I, I, my responsibility before God would have been to say in my heart, well, Lord, you just didn't intend for me to get the paint and the shrubs today. So it always goes back to the Lord. 
And, and God has shown us those things, and, and it's been such a blessing to walk in it. Now, it hasn't always worked out like I've wanted it to, but it's such a privilege to me to say to the Lord, Lord, I may not understand this, but you tell me to submit to my husband. And in, now, it's not talking about when you're hit and, and, and your husband asks you to do something stupid or sin in some way. <laughs> it's, it's not in that, but it's in practical everyday living. And... Um, so I thank you for that. I've never thanked you for that, for not going and buying that trash can and the water hose. Um, God bless my life in that wine. Thank you. And then I'll close with this. Approximately 18 years ago, our children were older now. They were teens. Stephanie was a freshman in college, and she had come home for the summer, and Stephen was still in high school. And we, had, um, we were living um, out in the county, and um, I, we were... We were in love with each other. We've always loved each other. But do you know, some, those of you, how many of you have children at home? Oh, good, good. A, a great amount of you have children at home. You, you know how it is. You get so busy taking care of, care of the children's needs and getting them here and there and wherever they need to go that you lose what you had at one point. And I didn't realize that we had drifted in this area, but... We, had, we were talking in the den, it was on a Saturday <clears throat> afternoon, and I said something to him, and he said something back to me, and I went into the kitchen to fix some lunch, and it was just the Lord let me know in my heart, you are only, you and Wayne are only talking at each other. You're not talking with one another. And we were talking, but we didn't even look at each other in the eye. We didn't even give each other eye contact. So... I was in the kitchen, and the Lord put on my heart to, now this is supposed to be a round plate, okay? <laughs> so I fixed lunch, and I knew he was watching the football game. And I thought, now I'm going to have him look at me. And I thought, now how can I do that? And I thought, I'm not going to turn loose of the plate until he looks at me. <laughs> so, um, darling, you're, you're sitting in the den in the, on a Saturday afternoon, and, and you don't know what God's about to do in your life but it's going to be a blessing. <laughs> so I took, I, I handed him the plate, and he never looked at me. Don't look at me. <laughs> he just kept watching TV. You know how you do. You know, you're just in the routine of life. And so I, I did this, and he pulled, and I did this, and he looked at me. And when he did, I said, and it was led of God to say this, I said, I want you to know that I surely do love you. And, and I handed him the plate, and I walked away. And when I went in the kitchen, it, it felt so good that I had been obedient to the Lord that I, I said, Lord, how, show me other ways. Show me other ways that I can be tender towards him. I want us to, I want us to be uh, compassionate in our love for one another. I want it to be exactly what you want it to be. And so God revealed to my heart that I needed to thank him every day for things that, that he did or for who he was. And so I just said, Lord, you bring it to my mind and I'll do it. So that night, I just said, I just want you to know, honey, that I'm so grateful that you're a godly man. And I'm so thankful that you're a great dad to our children. And the next day, I said, Lord, you show me and I'll do it. So for 18 years, this man 
flourished in, in praise. <laughs> and so about two years ago, now I just went on and did this, and, and he, you know, sometimes guys don't think about things like that. We're, we're all emotional, we females, and, and we just get into that kind of ooey-gooey stuff. And um, so he, he, so, you know, he didn't, he didn't say it back, or he didn't say anything, but, but he was kind and gentle and gracious to me, and I knew that he loved me. So about two years ago, he said, I said, I, I just think you're, you're a wonderful husband. I just love you, and I just adore you so much. And he said, well, I think the same way. You just say it better than I do. So that, then that got to be the thing. So for about six months, he just every day say, oh, I feel the same way. You just say it better than I do. And so one day I thought, I'm just going to have to tell him. I'm just going to have to teach him about this. So I said, you know, you just need to start saying it, and it will become a habit. And so you just do it. Well, I tell you, the last two years, I've just been praised and, and, and adored, and, and it's just been a wonderful thing. So I just say that to tell you that there are times in our life when, when we do get our focus off of the way our marriage should be. But it's in yielding to Christ exactly what Wayne is saying. And, you know, it's a privilege for me to get to share the fun things with you, but he has to do the spade work. He has to do the, the digging in the scriptures. And, and you may not understand it as well as you would a story. But I'm, I'm seeking to share with you the illustrations that God has given us in our life. And, um, and I thank you, darling, for that. And, um, and I pray that that will, will help you as well tonight. Now, I want you to listen to me. And Wayne's going to preach on this in, the, in a couple of weeks. But we were on our way in the car tonight. And, um, and I asked him if I could go ahead and just share this with you because it was on my heart today. And he, but he will explain it to you in such a beautiful fashion in a couple of weeks. And um, just listen to me now, and then you can go home and read it tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and you know that's the, that's the chapter on love in the scriptures. And what a better passage of scripture to read tonight when it's just about to be Valentine's Day. Now, I know some of you guys, you may not feel like you're romantic. You may think, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to buy. And, um, but I could tell you this. You just go get a cookie. Go to, the, go to the bakery and purchase one cookie. And I know sometimes before when we first got married, Wayne would give me a dozen roses and a big box of candy. And, but I was the one doing the checkbook. And it was like, we didn't have the money for that. And um, so I said, oh, I know, I know I appreciate you're doing that, but you know we, the budget, we just don't have the money for that. So I, it really gives me more, <laughs> it bothers me that you would do this when we don't have the money. So if you don't have the money, just do something. Just whatever God, you pray and you say, Lord, how can I let my wife know I love her today? And you gals do the same thing. And, um, and it doesn't have to be an expensive thing. And one of the things that God has given to us over the years is um, we had an anniversary one night. And when we were, I was, we were expecting our third child. And, um, and, he, and so I said, well, we were going to go out to eat. And he said, um, called and said, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but we have a meeting tonight and I cannot get out of it. Well, I was disappointed, but I was also a believer. And it's, I'm not bragging on myself, but I'm just trying to let you know this is how your life can be as unto the Lord. And so I thought, well, when I put, he'll be home late, he'll be home about 10 o'clock, and when you're young, you can eat late, you know, you can eat whatever you want, it doesn't bother you. And um, so I went to, took the children to the grocery that afternoon, and I got steaks, and I got potatoes, and so for baked potatoes, and we had a salad, and I made a dessert. And he came in, and um, we still were able to celebrate 
our anniversary because God gives us that creativity when we're wanting to love us and allow his love to flow through us. So let me just close with this tonight. In uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, we read these words. Love is patient. And you know, God is love. So when you read this, you know that this is saying God is patient. And you don't have to be patient. You can't be patient apart from him. So if you need patience, you just say, Lord, I already have that in you. I give myself to you. Now, you just let that patience come on through so my family can see your love. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Love is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. Every time my eyes read these, this verse, love does not take into an account a wrong suffered. I am convicted. So are there any accounts you're hanging on to tonight? Anything your spouse has done or said in the past, and you're just waiting for you to have the next argument so you can bring that thing up again. That's not God loving your spouse through you. And then the last verse here is, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, Folks, um, used to when you wanted to see something with your eyes that was unrighteous and unholy before God, you had to go somewhere to do it. Now you can just open up your computer and it's right there in front of you, right in your very home. If you are holy because God has made you holy, why do you want unholiness to be brought into your family? Why do you want that to be in your home? You may, you may think, you know, the Bible says love. Um, it says that be sure your sin will find you out. And you might say, well, I've been doing this for 10 years. And it's never affected me. God's never gotten a hold of me. Well, I just want you to know God's word is truth. And when he says that in his word that your sin will be found out, you can just bank on it because it will happen. And if your eyes are, guys and gals, if your eyes are falling on that nonsense, um, you are most miserable because that kind of thing does not satisfy. Oh, it might for a moment and it might for a season. But what happens, according to what I understand, is you keep on, you keep on, you keep on. And that's why I think there's so much violence in the world today against women because men are on that seeing unholy, unrighteous things before their eyes. And Job said, I will not set any vile thing before my eyes. So if that's a part of you tonight, please just, just yield that to Christ and just say, Lord, I don't want that to be a part of my life. And as you walk yielded to him, then he gives you the power. You don't wait for the power. You be obedient, and then God gives you the power of, what, of, of how you're to walk before him. And then as we close with this, it says, Love rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then as I close, the scripture says, Love never fails. Not your love. It always fails. God's love never fails. Aren't you grateful? And as Wayne said tonight, God loves failure. So just admit your weakness to him. That's what he's waiting on you to do. He's blessed you with all spiritual blessings. He's given you everything pertaining to life and godliness. So just go to him tonight. Don't be condemned. Just say, Father, I want to run to you because there I will find blessing. God bless you, folks. I have a lot of fun when people meet Diana and they say, how in the world did you get her? 
And I said, well, it was a dark night. And I told her I was rich. <laughs> By the way, I do not tell her what to say. I want you to know that. It's kind of funny. You can, you can pray for her because you know what she's had to put up with all these years. Well, it goes back to the triangle, doesn't it? And you can't. I love what Diana said. Don't feel condemned. Run to him. Don't run from him. I mean, if there's something wrong in your life, let him know. Just yield it to him. I mean, he's going to say, duh, I've been trying to tell you that. I didn't come to make your flesh better. I came to replace it. And that's the sweet thing about the grace of God. And you watch how that affects your marriage. It's incredible. Well, next time, we'll meet together and talk about trusting him as we deal with the circumstances that come our way. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.